You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast, recorded in Scottsdale, Arizona. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at banner.church. Hey, we really have the privilege today. I want to introduce to you someone, before I share my message, who's going to share a little bit about uh, what they're doing. And it's been really cool looking at the generosity of this church really around the world. And I really feel like God sometimes brings opportunity to us as a church. And so I had, I had the opportunity of meeting with someone really incredible uh, who's doing some incredible work with the next generation uh, in Serbia. And as we were meeting, it really impressed upon my heart, I think, the importance of always planting and seeding into something. And, and what's interesting is when we didn't really have much of a kids' ministry, we began seeding in to people who were doing kids' ministry. And that's kind of how we plant as a church. It's like, we, we don't have it, we don't have it yet, but we're just going to, back when Lucy was the only kid in the whole church for a while, and uh, we just began to seed into those doing ministry around the world, reaching children, and God has really honored that and brought fruit. And so the same thing is true for us and uh, youth and really the next generation, is we have a passion to reach the next generation with the gospel, but in order to do that, we have to plant with the Holy Spirit, and so I I felt like this was really a cool opportunity that God has brought, and um, Faith is a is a part of the Russell clan, and we love the Russells. They're incredible, godly people. They're a blast. They serve your kids. They serve in, like, all kinds of ministry, and they're really incredible. They're constantly praying for, for you in the church, and they've raised some incredible people. Um, but we as a church are going to support, but I really wanted to bring her up so she could share and share what God is doing. And I think you guys are just going to be blown away by this incredible young woman of God and her leadership and her anointing. So would you just help me uh, welcome Faith Russell this morning to share? Thank you, Josh. Um, thank you. It's an honor and a blessing to be here today. Um, I've never been to Arizona before, so thanks for welcoming me in. And um, it's it just really touches and blesses my heart to see you guys all get up and cheer for my parents and their family. Um, one of the hardest things for me to do when I was moving away from Oregon to Serbia to start a life there is uh, praying for my family and, and the people that I was close to in Oregon and saying, God, you got to take care of them because you're calling me to take care of someone else. So thank you guys for taking care of and loving my, my family here. That's such a blessing. So thank you guys. Uh, my name is Faith Russell. You guys probably all know my sister, Haven. We look a lot alike. <laughs> I get that all the time. She's pretty cool. So I guess that's a compliment. Um, my story starts back in 2012 when I was called to go on a short-term team with my church to help an evangelistic English camp in Serbia, uh, partnering with Josiah Venture, who is a uh, leadership organization in Central and Eastern Europe that has a vision to see God's movement in the youth of Central and Eastern Europe that makes its home in the local church and transforms the society around it. And uh, one of the reasons that they're called Josiah Venture is because they looked at King Josiah and said, if a 16-year-old king who finds the word and the law transforms an entire nation around him, we want to find the Josiahs in our societies who are not going to just turn their hearts to Christ, but turn the entire people group around them. So we're really looking for the leaders in, in our nations in Central and Eastern Europe. And God specifically called me to Serbia, which is a, heart that I, uh, a country that I love that, that touches my heart. When I went there the first time, I sat down with a girl, and she just told me all about the hurt and the pain in her life. 
And um, I, I was blown away by the fact that there's 7 million people there, so actually about the same as Arizona, and about 5,000 Christians. So with less than 1% of evangelical believers, this girl I was talking to who had so much hurt and so much pain probably didn't even know a Christian in her city, didn't know where to find the hope that she's desperately craving. And in the past five years, we have seen the young people are so hungry for Jesus. They're so hungry for Jesus, but they don't know where to find him and they don't know what to do when it comes next because they go to the Orthodox churches, which is a state church where some of the priests are atheists. Weird. They go to the Orthodox churches because they feel a calling to God and they go there and they are told, do this ritual, say this prayer, and God will bless your crops. And they leave empty saying, well, I tried that God thing and it didn't work. So I'm, I'm serving in a city called Sremska Mitrovica and there's a church of 30 to 40 people there. And I'm working with the high school students and we're just inviting them into this first challenge of come and see who Jesus is. Because where Jesus is, where the kingdom is alive, people are healed. And people are brought into truth. There's truth and light wherever Jesus is, wherever his church is. And so we are committed to being part of the church, reaching out in his name. And we're trying to be faithful with the little bit that we've been given. So in my church, we have six young girls who are in high school. And we meet together. And we have lunch. And we play games. And we just live life together and through casual conversations, through bringing Jesus and, and the scriptures into real life situations, God is really transforming their hearts. Where church is no longer a boring thing their parents made them come to and the Bible isn't pretty much like school and homework, but it's the living word of God that has answers for our daily problems. So that's what I'm passionate about. I love my girls dearly. I would die for them, honestly. And anytime something threatens them, I'm like, all right, I'm going to go to town. One of the kids was getting beat up at school and I was like, just give me the word. Tell me who it is. I will get them. Um, but I also don't want to get arrested in a foreign country and sent back home. So, <laughs> so I pray because that's more effective than physical violence. Um, and one of the things that I'm really passionate about with these high schoolers that I'm in is I, uh, I have a vision for their lives. I want to see them as the young leaders who reach their generation. And I have an amazing privilege of working with three other guys in Josiah Venture, Serbia, who are two of them Serbians, one Macedonian, who met Christ and who are discipling others, who are discipling others to fulfill the Great Commission. And so I get to partner with them as a 24-year-old who has done a little bit of ministry, who God called and is qualifying and teaching. And I get to support what they're doing as they do training all over the nation of teaching youth group leaders, how do you reach your city? How do you start with principles of discipleship? How do you start with a foundation of relationship, of prayer, of scripture, of focusing in on Christ and seeing how he made disciples so that we make disciples? It doesn't matter if we have big flashy buildings, if we have projectors and lights and all of those crazy cool things, they're awesome. But we have to have our foundations right. We have to have our focus right. We have to start with what we've been given. So... I have an amazing privilege of working with them to put on evangelistic English camps where we take what we've been given. We have connections to people who speak English natively. And so we're like, cool, come teach conversational English. Bring people to a camp where they can see Christ lived out, where they can see the love we have for our brothers and sisters, where it will impact their hearts, and where we teach them a practical skill. Because I believe where God's people are at, we meet practical needs as we meet spiritual needs. And so... 
I get to coordinate with short-term teams coming from the States and from Czech and from Northern Ireland. And I get to share how do we partner with the local church and equip the students here and the youth groups here to reach their people as we disciple the kids in the short-term team and on the long-term team in Serbia. And that's one of my greatest privileges is just sharing, hey, we're going to be making disciples everywhere we get are at and in every circle. We don't need a random group of volunteers. We need people who are making disciples as they go, making disciples as they stay. Both are amazing calls that I am so on board with. And uh, the other thing I get to do is work with interns. This will be my first year doing that. And uh, I get to take college students, college aged. I didn't finish college. So I'm not against um, people who are college aged but not in college. Uh, and we get to take them for two months on and disciple them in our country and give them an opportunity to see camps and actually more than camps, the church in Serbia and what they do from beginning to end in the summertime, prepping and following up with the students after camp. Because the reason I came to Serbia, the, the thing God really pressed upon my heart is all of these crazy cool outreaches we do when there's so much, so many people and so much support and so much hype, it doesn't really mean anything if no one continues the work after you. And it's one thing to go and plant seeds, but you got to water it and you got to dig up weeds and you got to disciple people who have just been challenged to accept Jesus and they barely know who he is. They need to be connected into the church to be fed, to stay alive. And so that's what I'm really passionate about. And that's what I like sharing with our, our interns, some of them who come and they're never going to come back to Serbia, but they never go back to America unchanged. And that is so cool for me. And so I have a, a big heart for that. And, uh, as I'm here for just a couple of months, well, I'm on the end of my two months in America. I'm going back to Serbia. If, if you want to partner with me in what God's doing in Serbia, then I would love to add you to my newsletters and just share things that you can be praying for, ways that you can join if you're interested in interning or coming and visiting and supporting the ministry that the local churches are doing. If you want to partner with me specifically or any of the guys on my team to um, equip our ministries, you can come talk to me later in the back, and I'd be love to. I would love to share a, a great way to do that. And um, I just want to celebrate with you guys what God is doing here and all around the world. So, thank you. Honestly, faith faith is incredible. I I'm just blown away. I was talking to your dad, and I was like, Oh my gosh! Like you just need to come work here, preach the gospel, and it's awesome. I think it's really, isn't it amazing what God is doing? I, I think it's really cool. We're super excited. Yes. Um, I know for you, you're saying, you're, you're very humble about this, and all missionaries are bad at this, so I will do it for you, uh, is that all missionaries need funding because you need to eat and live. I'm, yeah, I'm sure that still happens in Serbia. Uh, so I really encourage you guys. Obviously, we as a church want to so support her, um, and, and we as a church, we give, and we tithe off the tithe to missions here as, as a church. But really specifically, I want to encourage you, if you feel above and beyond your giving, that you want to um, really seed into that ministry, I want to encourage you to not let the moment go by and to not say, ah, you know, that's something I'm going to do because we forget and things happen. But I think it's incredible. I think what the enemy has tried to do in these countries is, is so brutal. And I think what's amazing is that that seed of hope is springing forth. And it's springing forth in the most unexpected generation. And I think that's so cool. So I encourage you guys to be a part of that because she's going to be in the lobby. Right? Awesome. Um, well, hey, I want to do this. I'm going to invite your parents up, and we're going to pray over you this morning because we know that you're heading out. So awesome. I didn't tell them this, so it's going to take them a second. Perfect.
surprise, I'm moving to Serbia. <laughs> awesome. Well, hey, let's pray. Would you guys do this with me? Would you reach your hands out? We're going to pray over this incredible young woman of God as she steps into the, and, and really continues this ministry. God, we just thank you for faith. God, we thank you for the anointing that you have put upon her. And God, we thank you for how you have qualified her based on how you have called her. And you have given her an incredible and powerful tool of testifying and relating and connecting. You have given her a spirit of gentleness on her. And God, I pray that as she steps out, God, first and foremost, we pray great provision upon her. God, we pray that the church here would take upon itself the mantle of supporting your mission around the world like never before. And God, we pray over this ministry. God, we pray that you would bring fruit. God, we know sometimes it's hard to be planting those seeds year after year and not quite seeing the fruit. But God, as she is even beginning to testify to what you're doing, God, we pray greater fruit in abundance of what she's ever seen. God, we pray that revival would break out in that city, in that nation. God, we pray for a nation that has suffered through war and strife. God, we pray peace upon it. We pray healing on the hearts of all people in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Can we thank Faith? Thank you. You're awesome. You're the best. Hey, I really want to encourage you. Go meet with her. She'll be in the lobby. She's got cool stuff, uh, info, flyers, cool Serbian money, all kinds of cool-looking junk out there, and uh, really awesome. It, that just, like, always brings me hope. I, I'm excited for this generation of the church, both young and old. Man, it is cool to see what God is doing. I I think sometimes when we're only on the Internet, we're only on Facebook, it's so easy to criticize but I think more than ever what I'm seeing is just an awakening to what God wants to do in this generation. And it makes me happy. Like, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that there's all these tools that can be used for selfishness, social media, digital tools. And yet, God, you can use them to bring glory to your name and bring people into eternity. How cool is that? Amen. Hey, I want to read a scripture over you as we begin uh, our message today on, uh, in our 2020 vision series. And it comes out of Isaiah 54, and I'll explain it in a second. But I just want to read this over you as we begin. If you brought your Bible, go ahead and open up to Isaiah 54, verse 1. <clears throat> it goes like this. Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Verse 2, enlarge the place of your tent. Let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen the cords and strengthen your stakes. For you will spread abroad to the right and the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. Let's pray together this morning. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that the word of God is alive and active. God, all across the world, you are changing lives. And so I pray this morning as we hear the word, I pray that our hearts would be softened and open to what you want to speak. And so we give you this time in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So uh, I want to share a little bit. Of, it's, it was interesting. I was sharing at second service about this. But when Katie and I moved to the southwest, I really wanted to explore the Southwest because it's so different uh, from where we are from. And so I got invited to a couple different trips, uh, hike the Grand Canyon. Uh, one of them that was the most memorable was I got to go to Zion and Rappel with some pastors. 
And Zion combines one thing I like and one thing I hate. The thing I like is incredible nature. The thing I hate is heights. Like, I don't hate them just outright. I hate my relation to them. It's one of the things I love about the Southwest. I can see forever. I love the ground. I like being on the ground. I have no desire to jump out of a plane. I know some people, that's just in you. I just got to jump out of a plane. Save that for your midlife crisis. It'll be great. Uh, But... I have no desire. I love the ground. And I don't like dislike heights. I love to view them. I just don't like to purposely or incidentally find myself in negative relation to them uh, falling. Right? I, I, I think personally, like, I've convinced myself in planes that planes are okay because somehow, even though it's a metal tube, we've strapped some engines to it and fire it at 700 miles to the air. So what could go wrong? Right? But for the most part, I like the ground. I like being on the ground. I like to go fast on the ground. I drive 150 miles on the ground, uh, but I enjoy the ground. So I figured since I don't love heights, I don't love cliffs, I should go rappelling. I don't know if you know what rappelling is, but rappelling is falling off of a cliff slowly with a rope. (laughs) You get about four and a half minutes of training. And then you take your life literally in your hand, and some guy named Sage, like, gives you some advice. I don't know if you should trust Sage, because he lives in a van. Uh, But you do, and you trust him with your whole life. And you think, this is so much fun. Uh, It was, it was, I mean, it honestly was fun. It was fun. There were some moments, I remember there's this moment where you have to clip off, and then you have to shimmy out over this cliff that's 200 feet down, and I take my rope bag, because I was apparently in charge of something, because I can't shut my mouth, and I have to throw the rope bag off, and then we have to hook the rope up, and then you hook up to the rope, and then that last moment, you lean back, and you start rappelling down, and you go down 200 feet, you go to a ledge, And then you go and you hook up and you go down the next 200 feet. And then you hike for a million hours till you want to die. And then everybody's like, let's do it. It's actually really, really fun. But I learned some things uh, because we drove. It was me and then the former pastor of this church, Dana. We we were, uh, uh, we got to go on this trip together. And then it was his sons, Jamin and Jensen. Uh, I think actually it might have just been Jamin. I think it was just Jamin. It was Jamin. I don't know if Jamin's here today. Oh, he's downstairs in kids. Bless you, Jamin. Um, Good. We'll just rip on him then. No, I'm sorry. And so we got to go on this trip. And so I got all my gear. I borrowed some gear. I had, like, recently moved. So I was like, I don't know. All of my gear was meant to keep water out. Then I moved to Arizona, and all of your gear is meant to keep water in because there's no water and it's a million degrees and so I was like I need to borrow some gear so I borrowed a tent borrowed some gear it was awesome um, and got everything packed up drove the four and a half hours of Zion and you come into Zion the sun was setting and oh my gosh it was just so beautiful Zion is like uh, Sedona on steroids it is like the the wildest thing I loved it like I know you can't live there but if I could live there I would live there and it's beautiful. And the river, there's a river that goes through it. And you can rappel down into the river. It's amazing. And so the sun's setting. We pull into the camp. And what I learned about the southwest is it goes from, like, this beautiful orange, purple sunset to dark. 
Like that is how the Southwest works. There is no twilight. It is sunset darkness. And not like darkness like around the city. I'm talking like ACDC back in black darkness. Like that album. You guys remember that album? It was just black and then their name was embossed on it. Some of you are like, you can't say that in church. It's a good album. It's just right there. It's so dark. And so we pull in, and it's so dark. And I always set up a tent before I go camping, Uh, 99% of the time. But in this moment, I was the 1%. And uh, we opened our tents, and we made a discovery because Jamin had his two-person tent And I had my two-person tent. And when you take uh, a me as a person, not so much a Jamin, and you take all of me's gear and you put it in a tent, that is not a two-person tent. That is a one-person tent, maybe. Like, I feel like my feet are going to stick out of this thing. I don't know if they're hanging them off the side of mountains or what. But all of a sudden, our two-person tents became one-person tents, and Jamin and Dana, who were going to share a tent, made a uh, quick discovery, we will not both fit in this tent. And so what happens is, remember, it's pitch black. We've just spent all this time setting up the tents in the total darkness. We kind of like have the trucks trying to shine some light, but then you get those hard shadows. I mean, it it was kind of crazy. And so Dana goes around, and he's trying to find people who are setting up in the darkness in our group, because there was more people, set up tents. But you can't knock on a tent. There's no door, right? So you have to go around and you have to shake a tent and just hope the person isn't startled and, like, shoots you or something, right? Like, you have to go around and, like, shake, 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 shake. I'm not a bear. Like, let me in, right? You got to go around and shake their tent. And so, like, I don't know if there's bears in Zion, probably. Who knows? Cougar, cat, I don't know. And so you got to go around and shake. So Dana eventually finds these guys who are setting up a tent. But they have made one cardinal mistake, one rookie mistake in setting up this tent. And when I say tent, I mean like tent. I mean like big boy tent. I mean like from me to this wall tent. Like there could be a grill in there. It was a big tent. Like, you know, it says 10 people. It fit like eight of me. But it's like a big tent. They're setting this tent. And they made one major mistake. I'll give you one guess as to what the mistake they made is. What do you think? What is it? They forgot the stakes. Lord have mercy. They made the mistake that every person who makes this mistake does is they compensate by saying, well, we'll just put all of our gear in the tent and that'll fix it. And if you're thinking, that's a good idea, that was smart, you're wrong because you've never gone camping and you don't know. (laughs) So let me tell you, if you put all your gear in a tent without stakes, that thing will just straight Mary Poppins right up into the next valley with all of your things. The wind does not care how much stuff you own. It doesn't. It doesn't care for your things. It has no mind. It will just boop, boop, right into the next chimney. <laughs> and so what happens is tents work on tension, and they stretch, and then the end of the pegs, you peg them down, and you stake them down to the ground, and that keeps the tension. Because what happens is when the wind comes, it pushes against the tent. And eventually, those stakes say, I'm done with this garbage, and they collapse. Has anyone been in a collapsed tent before? Oh, my gosh. Being in a collapsed tent feels like someone woke you up by putting a plastic bag over your face. You're like a fish. Right? You ever feel that? Right? It's a terrible feeling. And so in this moment, you must have stakes or else you have become a casualty of casual camping. 
<laughs> so tents need two things. They need to be big enough to fit everybody, unless you don't like somebody, in which case your tent's the right size. But they need to be big enough to fit everybody. If you go camping and you have five kids and you and your spouse, you need a seven to nine person tent, not a six person unless you don't like that other kid and then you're fine. But you need a big enough tent to fit all the people, right? But if you get a big enough tent, you sure as heck better bring some big spikes. Because if you bring some little nails or those little metal ones that they give you in the tent kit, those are a lie, don't use those. Your tent will not make it, and again, you will be caught at 1 a.m. with all your children going <laughs> under this tent, thinking some kind of bear or creatures come to get you. There is a balance that exists in tents between size and foundation. And I think in the example that we read, and we're going to read again in Isaiah 54, there is something that is happening here to get our mind to think we need to be growing big enough, but be anchored firmly enough. I want to read Isaiah 54 too. If you like to underline in your Bible, open your Bible and underline this part because it's good. This is the prophet talking. He says this, enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back, lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. As we were prepping for the 2020 vision series, I, I began to pray and look back over this year and began to remember kind of all that God has done, and it's been cool to see all the things, and I, I remember, you know, when we first moved into this place, I remember even before that meeting in a school, and I just have thinking about all these things we've been praying for, and we've really been seeking the Lord for leaders to rise up, and it's been so cool to see so many people rise up into leadership, and leading small groups, and, and leading ministries, and leading in their family, and so it's really been amazing. It's been amazing to baptize people. It's been amazing to walk people through um, beginning a life with Jesus. It's been amazing to hand out hundreds of toys. It's been amazing to give away hundreds of shoes and minister to kids. And it's really, uh, it's been amazing what God has done in this church. Amen. And so I've been reviewing the past two years because it'll be next month that Katie and I will have been lead pastors for two years. Isn't that crazy? I know. We're going to enter into our third year, and, I, and, and so I've been looking back over these years and kind of reflecting and praying in preparation for this third year, because I think there's some things God is wanting to speak to us in our third year. I feel like he was really setting our foundation for the first two, and he's going to begin to more clearly establish our identity and our reach in our third year. And so there was this word that was spoken over the church, and it was actually spoken by Dana from the scripture. It was right after this, so he must have been informed by the same thing that God was speaking to me uh, because of the tense experience. Uh, but he spoke this word, and I felt like I was going back and reading because I like to journal. I go back over things and, and remember them, and there was this word in there that was spoken that I believe God began to awaken again, and it's this, enlarge the tent. I felt that stir again, that God is calling and speaking to his church to enlarge the tent. This isn't a message about a building project. We're not going to, like, build another building. This is not a message you're like, oh, I've heard this one. They're about to pass the buckets again. No. This is about, yes, the church has been growing, but God is calling us in this year like never before to enlarge the tent. And it's crazy to see, yes, God has grown his church in two years. You know, if I were to go back two years and 
tell myself as I took over being a lead pastor, I'd probably just be like, man, get ready for what God's going to do. Probably a mix of that and good luck. (laughs) You're about to see the crazy weirdest awesome and the crazy weirdest weirdest (laughs) of people. But as we look back in that transition, Dana spoke this word to me. We began to pray in this moment as a church, and it was in this moment where we sent our former pastors, Dana and Bridget, uh, to Bangkok to lead ICA Bangkok International Christian Assembly, which is our sister church. And Dana and Bridget are, are super near and dear friends of ours. They're like our spiritual parents, and we sent them over there, and uh, we got to visit them and see all that God's doing. We're actually meeting with them about planning a trip to go over there with, with people and people from the church, and uh, there's 40 nationalities represented. We translated into five different languages. So really cool. We were praying, God, enlarge your tent around the world. But I feel like today, God is speaking to enlarge his tent here. The name Banner Church comes from the word of God. We didn't just pick it because it was like the hospital. We picked it because Isaiah eleven ten, God says out of the root of Jesse, that means Jesus. Jesus is out of the root of Jesse. That was David. David was the son of Jesse, and Jesus is from that root. This is a prophecy about Jesus Christ. Out of the root of Jesse will come a banner. We know the Lord is called Yahweh Nisi, the Lord is my banner, will come a banner. And from that banner, I will draw all people unto myself. Can I tell you that the call of God on this church is greater than this building? The banner of Jesus Christ is greater than this structure that has the name Banner Church on it. It's greater than we could ever know. And I feel like God is calling us to an awakening of what he wants to do in his church. And so this word that's shared from Isaiah and Isaiah 54 is this incredible prophecy for the expansion of God's church. You know, prophecy in the Bible, sometimes it's specifically uh, for Israel, and that's very important as a nation. And sometimes it was prophecy for Israel that was going to be fulfilled through Jesus, and now is for all of us. So this kind of sits in a unique spot if you have your Bible. Isaiah 53, if you've never read it, is an amazing scripture because that's the prophecy about Jesus Christ. If you read Isaiah 53, it talks about him who's pierced for our transgressions. This was way back in the day. God was prophesying through Isaiah to the people, listen, I'm going to send a Messiah who's going to die for your sins. And then on the other side of Isaiah 54 is Isaiah 55, and that is God's call on his church. That's the call of the gospel. Come, you who cannot afford and eat. You receive what you could not buy and you could not earn, Isaiah 55. And Isaiah 54 sits in this middle place because all of these prophecies are not just prophecies for Israel. They're prophecies for us. How are they prophecies for us? Well, see, you and I were Gentiles. That means non-Jewish unless you're Jewish here and then you're in. Uh, but we're, we're Gen- I'm a Gentile, and that means that I was not a part of the chosen people of God. But the gospel came first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. And so you and I have been grafted into these promises. Are you with me? Galatians 3, 7 says, Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. Meaning, sons of Abraham, that would be the Jewish people. That would be people of the promise. But we are those of faith. Scripture, for seeing that God would justify the Gentiles, right here, by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, 
In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. This is what's amazing. Is there are very clearly promises for Israel and that nation. So not every promise that's in the Bible because we've been grafted into the covenant is for us too. There's some that are very specifically for Israel. But these prophecies about the Messiah and about what he's going to do are for you and I as well. Because we are part of this restoration. We are part of what God wants to do. So when you read Isaiah 54, it's not some far-off religious concept. It's a prophecy for the church and the church now. Matthew 24, 14 says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Isaiah 54 sits between the promise of the, of the Messiah and um, the gospel call of the church. It sits between them as a promise of a growth and the growth of what God wants to do in his church. It's the growth of the people of God. And guess who is a part of the people of God through faith? Us. I'm very thankful as a Gentile that I live in the time where I'm justified through Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.11 says, Remember, at that time you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, Christ, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And he's broken down this wall. So when we read Isaiah 54 and it talks about stretching out, it talks about abundance. It's what God wants to do for his church. Let me tell you this way. Isaiah 54 is the promise of the growth of the gospel. It says enlarge the tent, spread the gospel. Did you know that you have been given the gospel if you believe in Jesus Christ? Maybe when you went to church, church was real sad and real serious. But the gospel's good, and, and we, we need to have sober moments, and we need to have focus, and we need to have sacred moments. The gospel is all of those things. The gospel is sobering, but the gospel is joy. The gospel is hope. The gospel is freedom. We have received a good gospel, and not only have we received a good gospel, church, we have received a call to share that gospel. Who's received a call? We have received a call. All of us, Matthew 28, 18, that is the great commission, says, Jesus says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This year, like never before, I feel like God is calling Banner Church to enlarge the tent of the gospel in the valley. I feel like more than ever before, what God is speaking to us is not programmatic. It is not structural. It is not in, in brick and mortar. It is an enlarging the tent of the gospel to stake a claim in the valley for Jesus Christ. To stake a claim of the gospel in our family. To stake a claim of the gospel in our jobs, in our schools, in the places we go, in the places where we are, the bars, the restaurants, wherever you like to hang out. To stake a claim over your friend group. To stake a claim even in your own home of the gospel. God is calling us to begin to pursue him like never before so that we can stretch out the tent of the gospel like never before. Amen. 
Isaiah 54, 2, I want to read it to you again, says this. This is how we do it. This is the prophecy right here. Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. Three things here. You can underline them, write them down, whatever you want to do. First thing, do not hold back. Hear me, Banner Church, this morning. Do not hold back. In Isaiah 54, the, the prophet is telling the barren woman symbolically, do not be pessimistic or small with your dreams. Do not hold back your imagination for what God can do, what children God can bring into the tent. Let me put it another way. Don't put God in a small box. How often do we put God into a little box and say, "This is God, this is what you can do. God, these are the kind of dreams you can fulfill because of who I am. God, you, you know my personality, you know my past, you know my shortcomings, and so this is where I'm going to dream. And God says, I need you to break that box of expectations. Break the box of what you think God can do. Break the box of what you think God has called or qualified you for. Break the box. I love that Faith shared, man, I was in Portland. I thought I was going to live my whole life in Oregon, and God called me to Serbia, and I felt unqualified, but God qualifies the called. And I think that's amazing. Did you know that's true for everybody in here? I mean, don't all move to Serbia tomorrow. I mean, you can. <laughs> but it's true for all of us that we need to begin to break the box that we constantly restrain God into. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. He is able to do not a little more abundantly, far more abundantly. Did you know that God can heal your family? Did you know that God can rescue your family? Did you know that God can use you? Yes, you, you with your shortcomings, me with my shortcomings, you with your personality, me with my personality, you with your past, me with my. God can use us to share the good news of his gospel to bring people into heaven. Did you know that? Did you know that God can heal bodies? Did you know that God can heal depression? I was talking to someone uh, this week about the mental health crisis like in our country, and I said it's mind-blowing to me in the church how we have given God so many props, and yet we will not, we put him in a box on some things. We have a generation of church-going believers who believe that God built the earth, created the earth with his voice, and sent his son to redeem the earth, defeated death, hell, and the grave, rose again on the third day so that we might spend eternity with him, but he couldn't possibly touch my mental health. What? Am I the only one that says, listen, at some point, we got to begin to break the box that we put, off, put around God. Not, and again, I'm not breaking it. We need God to break it. Because I'm not saying these things to minimize your struggle, but to maximize your perspective on God. That's my point. It's not that there is not real suffering where we need breakthrough for this year. It's that we need a very real God to do it. We don't need fake Jesus to do it. We don't need sweet painting Jesus to do it. We need mighty God 
all-loving, all-powerful, embrace us, also die for us, and defeat death for us, Jesus. We need a real Jesus. We need to get a real perspective on Jesus. That slavery in our mind, our body, our habits, everything he can break. He can break that box. And some of you, he's telling, it's time to dream big dreams. Some of you this morning, God is saying, it's time to be optimistic. I'm not talking about everything's great, it's rainbows, everything's amazing. Look, a butterfly. I'm saying it's time to be optimistic that God is who he says he is and can do what he says he does. Remember when you were optimistic? Remember when you believed that God could heal? Do you remember when you believed that God was going to touch your family and restore them? Do you remember when something would come up and God would put a thing in your heart and instead of being like, oh, God, you can't do that. You can't do that because of this. Oh, God, oh, my gosh. Remember when optimistic people didn't just piss you off? Right? Like someone finds Jesus and they actually believe that he can do everything he says. And you're like, oh, my gosh, just wait. Like, just flipping weight, and then you'll know. Then you'll, you'll be dancing to a different tune. Remember when you were optimistic and you believed that God could heal and set free? Do you believe that God could restore? When you began to dream, when God put a dream in your heart and your life, again, I'm not trying to minimize. I'm saying we need to maximize God in your perspective and break the box that we put him in. It's like, God, I'm facing some very real stuff, but you're a very real God. And I believe that you can break the box in my relationships, in my family, in this city. The gospel of God is too big to be contained in small dreams. Now, sometimes those big dreams have small steps, and we should celebrate them. Right, we should rejoice over small steps. You get somebody to come to your small group that, that you, you've been trying to work on forever. You get to a place where you actually enjoy reading the word of God and no one's forcing you. Right, like you're like, oh my gosh, I am awakened to the hunger. <laughs> right, like we should celebrate. We should talk about Jesus together. How can we hang out with Christians? We don't talk about football, we don't talk about Jesus. I love football, but sometimes we should maybe throw it in. Because apparently it's transformed our lives. Do people know that? Break the box that we've put on God. Now is the perfect moment to say, God, would you take this pessimistic spirit out of me? Holy Spirit, it's going to have to be you. You know me. Would you take this out of me and put some optimism in me that I can begin to believe again for freedom in my life, in the city, in my family, in the school, in my workplace? Can I tell you now is the perfect moment? Just say, God, begin to remove this from me. Break, break this box. Help me to not hold back. Second thing this morning, if you're still with me, say amen. Second thing is lengthen your cords. Turn to someone near you and say lengthen your cords. Lengthen your cords. The prophet is saying here, lengthen your reach. The cords are what uh, held down the roof in a tent. And so when you lengthen them, you're preparing to increase your reach, so that you're going to reach the tent and the stakes of the tent out to where they haven't been before. Right? You're, the size of your tent is only as big as your reach. If you have small cords, you can't reach very far. They just end. And so he's telling in this prophecy, symbolically, reach out, begin to reach out the tent because what? Because there's going to be influx. As you reach out, you'll be prepared for more. 
That's the thing about a nomadic people. When you, when you have uh, nomadic people that live in tents and you need another spare bedroom, all you got to do is get some more goat skins. I don't know if that's the symbol for goat skins. Uh, get some more goat skins and stretch out some cords and, as you, and stretch out longer cords. Then you build it. You put a privacy tent. And now you live with your parents just like in a separate part of the tent. All the parents are like, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe be nomadic over there. But you begin to stretch out, right? And so every time you'd have more kids or different things or you have more kids or more kids, they would just stretch out the tent more and more and more and more. And so there's this symbolic idea of influx. And, and what we're getting in this prophecy, what we're being told in this prophecy is for the kingdom of God to grow, we need to stretch out or increase our reach. Hear me, in order for people to move from completely separated from eternity from Jesus in hell forever to living fully, completely with him forever in the fullness of love and praise and glory like we were intended. And only to make that, to go hell to heaven, we got to increase our reach. We got to enlarge the tent. That's the kingdom of God. I don't want to freak you out if you're new here at church, but hear me tell, tell you that Jesus came, Jesus is here, so that you would have eternal life. Not only for all eternity, but you would have life now. That there is a God-shaped hole in all of us that we can try to fill by a million things, money, fame, whatever, family, people. But it will never be satisfied without Jesus Christ. I love all those things, but they will never satisfy that. And there's only one way to God and one way to eternity. Romans 10, 14 says this. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Let me read that again. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Listen, church, we have a gospel of hope. That's what we have received. It's hope. See, we have accepted a lie that everybody is uniquely fine for the most part. And that the gospel of Jesus Christ is a great addition that also can get you into heaven. But the world is not fine. I was not fine before Jesus. Getting it didn't make me perfect, right? But receiving the love of Jesus Christ and walking in that, we need to reject the idea that, well, you know, everybody that I kind of meet, they're fine without it. They're not fine. We need people to know the love of God for their life. We need our family to spend an eternity in the full love of God, not an eternity separated from him in hell. It's that serious. There's no middle ground. There is hell and there is heaven. Are you with me? And if they don't know Jesus and if they haven't pursued Jesus and follow him with their life, then guess what the option is? Hell, separated from God for eternity. We're the only ones that don't think it's that serious because you're already in. But what if God was calling us to say, listen, I've brought hope and love and freedom and I've put you in a certain place, and I'm now calling you to reach out, to expand your reach, so that people might know the freedom and life of Jesus Christ. 
that he is the light, that he is hope, that in the darkest place he's there and he loves them, that in their brokenness he wraps them in their arms and brings them healing, that in their isolation he is a friend to those who are lonely, to the fatherless he is a father, to the hopeless he is hope, right? Here's a good question. What is the reach in my own community? What's the reach in my community? Second question, God, where are you calling me to reach out in my community? Because your current reach might be a couple things. It might be your job. You're like, I'm brand new here. Like, well, you have neighbors unless you live in the middle of the desert. So your reach is somewhere. You got a job. Maybe school. Maybe you go to school. Uh, we have a lot of awesome GCU student slopes up. Uh, and ASU, whatever that thing is, dubs, I don't know, uh, forks up, forks up, what is it, hit me with it, uh, I'm not going to do that, uh, <laughs> but you got a spot, you have a place, but where is God calling you? Where is God showing you? Where is God bringing opportunity? Where is God planted you? Ask this question in your life. Do you ask this, where around me needs the gospel? Because I'll give you an answer, everywhere around you needs the gospel. Like you cannot walk into a part of the city and not think, man, this place would be better with a little bit of hope of Jesus. Not, it doesn't need more religion. It needs more Jesus. Man, this place needs more of the gospel. Man, this place needs more of Jesus, right? But listen to me, God has placed you in a harvest field. Somewhere in your life, God has placed you in a harvest field. He sent you there. And it's where he's calling you to lengthen your reach and begin to spread the tent of the gospel over. And some of you, you just need to stop long enough to say, God, would you give me your eyes to see where you were calling me to stake the claim of the gospel? Some of you, it's in friendships. Over your friendships, he's calling you. Some of you, it's in your family. It's in your own home, maybe. It's in your own house. God, where are you calling me to lengthen my reach? And when you have that prayerful mindset, hear me, it will change everything for you. It's going to change the way you see people. Right? It's going to change the way you see family. I'm not saying, like, lengthen your reach, like, the next family picnic run up and just shake somebody in your house until they know Jesus. Right? Like, I'm not saying be that guy. Where, like, every conversation you got to be like, well. The Bible says, like, I'm not saying do that. I'm saying in your life, God has given you opportunity to spread out and bring hope in life. To stretch out and to reach out. Third thing this morning, invite the band up, is strengthen your stakes. Turn to someone and say, strengthen your stakes. Strengthen your stakes. Yeah, that's a lot of beef. We've all been fasting. <sighs> Daniel, Daniel fast. It's been really good. The breakthrough's coming. And a steak. Um, but strengthen your stakes. The bigger the tent, the bigger the stake. We all understand these things when it comes to literal tents. We need to understand it when it comes to the church. If you have a big circus-sized tent and you try to use a tiny little six-penny nail to nail it down, it will not go well for you. And you will find that thing living next door upside down. So you need stakes because the larger a tent grows, the greater it will be affected from outside pressure and the greater weight it will be incurring. See, when the prophet 
is writing this and is speaking this from God, we get this picture of this is supposed to last. This is supposed to be sustained. But how many tents have you seen collapsed because they are not staked right? I mean, big tents, big, big, big tents, big, big, big churches collapsing under the weight of what comes against them or what they are because they're staked into a pastor's personality or into a certain youth program or into some kind of thing, into a certain type of worship band or into a certain programmatic element, staked into what everybody always wants to just come and receive. But what lasts is when we are staked, the strength of the stake comes from the Lord. We must be more than ever this year those who are secured in the Lord through his word and in his presence. Like never before, we got to go to another level. Matthew 28, 18, like I read before, says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's Jesus speaking. And he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. He does not say, go and make attendance of all nations. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. This is why we do small groups. This is why you need to be in a small group if you want to fulfill the mission of Jesus Christ in your life. It's because we must grow stronger if we want to reach greater. Because what happens all the time is, I got these stakes these are some pretty serious tent stakes. Y'all get one in, in just a moment. Um, but if you were to take this stake and, and, and drive a tarp into the ground, all of a sudden you would feel the wind. And it's not that it hasn't been there. You've just not been there. You've not staked that claim. And so if you are not prepared for the force that's going to come against it, you're going to be like, God, I reached out. I stepped out to do something for you. Why am I facing all these things? He's like, man, that, that pressure was always there. You just weren't there. You weren't staked in. You might have been here, but you weren't staked in. You're just laying on the ground. Now that you're claimed in, now you're going to feel it. So you got to be strong. By our old church, they, they planted all these trees down the road. But when they planted them, they planted them with really shallow roots because you got to dig down and really cultivate the roots. But if you want cheap money, you just drop them in a hole and call it good. And so the first storm that came, all of these trees, you could just drive down the street, it's like, they were all just laying down, dead, big, beautiful trees, just dead laying out in the road. Why? Because the greater you reach, the stronger your roots must grow. And this year, God is calling us like never before. As we get an awakening for evangelism and the gospel, we need to grow deeper. We need a deeper hunger for intimacy with God. We need a deeper longing to meditate on his word. We need a deeper passion to praise him that eclipses the praise that we give at football games or basketball games. We need the kind of people that praise greater for Jesus than LeBron. We need, we need, a, we need to go to another level. We need to go to another level of strength as a stake to not only reach out like the commission says, but to stake a strong claim and say, no, this is not for the enemy. My family does not belong to the enemy. They belong to the Lord. But in order to do that, you got to get strong in him. You cannot do it by your own strength. It's through him. 
going to invite our team to start handing these out. We'll give everybody one of these stakes. Please don't hurt anybody with this now that we've weaponized you. Our security team will take you down. But I want you to hold this in your hand. And this is symbolic of your life and your commitment. You don't have to take one. You can let it pass by or set it on the seat next to you if you're uncomfortable uh, holding this. But hear me, church. God wants to bring revival to this city, and Banner Church will be a part of it. And we will continue to be a part of the awakening that God wants to do. But I want us all to be a part of it. In order to do that, we must not hold back. We must lengthen our cords, and we must strengthen our stakes and begin to say around the valley, in our schools, in our family, we need to begin to say, this, this belongs to the Lord. And when you take this stake, and uh, maybe you live in, you know, you're like, man, I'm going to claim this over my family, so I'm just going to bring it over to my family's house. Maybe they won't see it. Just drive this baby into the ground. Um, you know, if they see it, just say, don't worry, uh, Grandma, this is for Jesus. Uh, but you're going to drive this in the ground, but it's going to be symbolic because you're going to think on this when you pray. And you're going to pray and say, God, I pray over my family. I pray that they would begin to know you, the Holy Spirit, you would move upon them, that you would restore what has been devastated for generations. You know that's part of our promise, to restore the foundations that have been devastated for generations in your life. And you begin to pray that. And you begin to share that gospel with your family. And you begin to speak truth as the Holy Spirit begins to open doors for you. Because he's already working. You're just second on the scene. And you remember that moment because one day you took this weird stake from this small church in, in Scottsdale. And you staked it into the ground. And you believed, God, you're going to do something. You staked it into the ground in your school, and you said, God, I believe you're going to do something, that this does not belong to you or the principalities of evil. This belongs to you, Jesus, and I pray and I pursue, and I'm reaching out, and this is, my, this is symbolic for me. Or maybe in your life, in your work, you take it or wherever it might be, and you take this in. It's just really simple. It's just a cheap little tent stake, but for you, it's a symbol of what God wants to do. Isaiah 54, 2, enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Hear me, Banner Church, do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stake. It is time to stake the claim of the gospel on this valley. Would you stand with me? Just hold this in your hand. I'm just going to give you a moment. Just close your eyes with me. So allows, allows focus together. And I'm going to have the band play, and we're just going to have a moment of reflection. It's going to be 30 seconds. It's going to feel like longer. But I just want to invite you to just ask the Lord, God, where are you calling me to stretch out? Where do you want me to go put this stake? Maybe you live in an apartment, and it's your own house, and you're just going to put it in a potted plant and pray over your home. Maybe it's a park. Maybe it's the entertainment district. We've done this before. It's not hard to find places. But it's most important to find that place in your heart where God is leading you. So I just want you to take 30 seconds and we say, Holy Spirit, would you direct us? Where are you calling us? Maybe it's over a person or a place. God, where are you calling us out to reach out?
Just wait on the Holy Spirit to speak to you in this moment. eyes closed and head back. I want to pray for you. This is the amazing thing about the Holy Spirit is that He directs us and leads us. So I just want to encourage you and challenge you to dream big. Even now, it's like you're going to kind of limit yourself where you believe God is calling you to stretch out the gospel over and say, well, Lord, you know, I'm like this and I don't know. And Man, I just want to encourage you. Just dream big with the Lord. He's got big plans for your life. He's got big plans for this church. Stretch out. I want to pray for you. Just hold that in your hand with me. It's just a, it's just symbolic. It's, it's nothing important. It's just a piece of metal, but it's going to be important what you do with it because it's going to stamp it in your heart. God, we pray right now in the name of Jesus that like never before, 2020 would be a year for the gospel that the gospel would be spread in the valley like we have never seen before, that you would use every kind of person to spread the gospel. And so, God, we know that that comes through you, Holy Spirit. And so we pray right now with these stakes in our hand, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would guide us, you would direct us, and you would strengthen us as we reach out and lengthen our reach, lengthen the cords, and we begin to reach out in your community. We begin to reach out. Would you grow the kingdom, God? For some of us that are even brand new to this city, would you give us opportunity that is supernatural beyond what we could ever imagine? And God, we pray for a harvest of people to come to know the hope and freedom. God, we pray that all people in Scottsdale would experience the freedom and the power of a new life in Jesus Christ. And it would start with this moment where a group of people at Banner Church in Scottsdale said, you know what? This valley does not belong to the enemy. It belongs to Jesus Christ. And we will stake the claim of the gospel. And I pray as we do that, God, that we would be strengthened in your word, that we would come back to your goodness, that it's not our goodness, it's your goodness that is truth. And we would stand upon the truth of your word and we would declare who you are in the name of Jesus over this place over this city we thank you God and we rejoice already in what you are going to do in your church in 2020 let's just worship the Lord and sing of his goodness together